Acts chapter 25, verses 11 and 12. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there's nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Skipping down to verses 21 through 27. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the men myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in, and Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here? shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. Philippians chapter 1 verses 3 through 7. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, turning over to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. May God bless the reading of his word. Again, standing until the end. Now, what I'm going to give you is background information, or give you information, I should say, deals with the matter of what I had presented before. I've dealt, I've actually going to present to you some information that I had presented to you before, but I felt that is relevant today. Many of you may not know, have heard of who this individual is. Lucius Domitius Ahenobarbus. Lucius Domitius Ahenobarbus. Now, some of you may know the name, some of you may not. But if I was to say to you, Nero Some of you would have said, oh, I've heard of the name Nero. Well, his name at birth that was given was Lucius Domitius Ahenobarbus. Nero was a serious 
dictator. His father was a senator and a consul who died when Nero was a little boy. His mother's name was Agrippina. She was the daughter of a person named Germanicus, who was also the name, actually, of even the father, Nero's father. His mother, Agrippina, was said in history to be one of the wealthiest and most beautiful women in Rome. When she married the emperor, her son, Nero, received the name Nero Claudius Caesar Germanicus. He was adopted by Claudius. Now, his mother and Claudius were actually relatives. Nero had more than five years' reign. He had been on the, on the throne for five years. And, and, and while Paul, when Paul was imprisoned at Caesarea, if you would reference Acts chapter 25. In Philippians chapter 1 and 7 and 12 through 14, we still note that when he wrote to the Philippian church later, Paul was still in prison. Now, the reason that Paul went to prison was because he had refused to adhere to the demands of the, of the Senate. They had accused him of certain things, and one of the leaders at that time, Festus, wanted to hear him and wanted to basically let him go. But Paul had done nothing wrong, and many of the Sanhedrins, those of the Sanhedrin, the priests, they wanted to kill him. And so Paul was put into custody so that a trial and those that were in the area, Festus and, and Agrippa and some of the others, could, could hear him because they liked to hear what he had to say and then make a decision. But there was really nothing that they could put their finger on where Paul had broken the law. And so we see in Acts when the council kept making accusations but unable to support it, Paul finally said, I appeal to Caesar. Now the Caesar that was on the throne at that time was Nero. Now in AD 64, in that first century, there was a great fire that had broken out. This great fire of Rome caused major damage. In fact, this fire raged, it is said in history, for more than five days. And now because of Nero's evil record, many said that Nero was the one that actually started the fire. And there's still controversy regarding whether he started the fire or not. But he was the one that was accused of starting the fire because of his Evilness. Things that's vitally important that we need to remember is that the church has always persevered and triumphed in the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of trials. The church has grown and has been strengthened. No matter what dictator has tried to put the church down, has tried to destroy the church, the church has always not only survived, but it has, in fact, blossomed and has grown and has flourished during persecution. It is because of this matter of the persecution of the church and what Nero had done and many others 
that God has been able to get the glory. You may not realize that God is able to get the glory and get glory out of his out of his children's life, out of the church from those that are his. He's able to get the glory even when it doesn't seem like he'll be able to. Now, one of the things about Nero, as many of the dictators and many of the leaders at this time, one of the things that you need to note is that anyone that was a threat to the throne was to be eliminated. Anyone. It was not uncommon to marry several different ones, and if you found a person that you liked better, was to kill your wife, which is what Nero had done. Nero did. Nero killed his wife, one of his first wives, Octavia, then married another lady, and even had her killed. It is vitally important to recognize that if the Lord himself is not leading a person, we're liable to do anything. And it is Paul who has been in prison in the book of Acts and in Philippians where he appeals to Caesar, who is at this time Nero, for his case to be heard. Now, you need to also note that Nero had not always been evil. Not initially. During the early part of his life, Nero had been brought up by a couple of individuals. He had been entrusted to their care. He was very young when he came to the throne, and so he was given to a person by the name of Seneca, and they kept things in check, and actually they were the ones that helped run the country because Nero was a person who was more interested in satisfying his pleasures, his whims, and and doing what he wanted to do. But when one of the individuals was killed or died, some of the restraints on Nero was released and was, was removed, I should say. And then when Seneca, who was the person that wrote all of his speeches and who kept him in check, when he retired, Nero basically was left unchecked and major chaos ensued. Now going back to the fire of 86 to 64, it was during this time when Nero was also very frivolous in his spending and wanted to build for himself a major palace and began to, even before this time, but began to take money from the churches and the various ones to build this elaborate temple or this elaborate palace for himself. But when the fire broke out in a place called Circus Maximus, I believe, Nero because he was not liked by the people, found a scapegoat to blame for the fire. And that scapegoat, you can guess who it was. It was the Christians who were living in Rome. It was Paul who was imprisoned in Rome, awaiting also even trial, and who had continued to proclaim the word of God that even the guards and those that were guarding him became believers in Jesus Christ. Well, when he successfully pointed the finger at Christians, even though they had nothing to do with the fire, they began to be persecuted. And so a great wave of persecution began in AD 64. And Paul, having appealed to Caesar to have his case heard, is now caught up in this situation with a person who's now is a madman and has no restraints on him and cannot 
be trusted. While Nero does not appear his name in the New Testament, we note him being mentioned in the book of Acts. And even in Peter's day, when Peter wrote his word in First Peter that I read in chapter 4, verse 12, it is believed that the persecution that Peter re- referenced may have been also related to the persecution that fell under Nero. Now, last week when we were dealing with the day of Pentecost, which is said to be the birth of the church, what a wonderful and a marvelous blessing to have the Holy Spirit come on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Easter. But something that you need to note that that we referenced last week is that the coming of the Holy Spirit, while when he came and fell on the 120 in the upper room, he gave them the ability to speak in tongues, in other words, in other languages. And the people came together together saying, hey, we hear people praising God in our own language, in our own dialect, and we know they haven't learned this message. How is this possible? And it was Peter who was able to present the gospel to those that were there, telling them that they had been responsible for the killing of Christ. Now understand that when Peter gave this message during the day of Pentecost, it began a great wave of worship, a great wave of God moving, but it also caused a problem for the church because the power of God was being seen in the healing of people, which you note in Acts chapter 3, the healing of the man, which led to the religious leaders calling the disciples before them and questioning them about this name in which they had been proclaiming Jesus. And they tried to stop the preaching of the gospel. But it is in, it is in chapter 4 of Acts when Peter and the disciples says, we, we have to obey God rather than man. And it is during this time that they prayed to God and they asked for boldness. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verses 30 at verse around 28, 31. In fact, if you even start at verse 24, you can read the prayer. They asked for boldness. Listen, not to get what they wanted, but they asked for boldness to preach the word of God. Why? Because you know what? Persecution was going to become was going to hit like a wave. And so Peter and the disciples prayed. And the Bible says that at the conclusion of that prayer, the Holy Spirit fell in that place and filled them again. And right after that, you see, and they began to preach the word of God with boldness. No matter what the persecution was, no matter the opposition, no matter how many people tried to stop them, their prayer was for boldness to carry out the word of God. And it is the same boldness that Paul, even in prison, the same boldness that he had that he could proclaim the word of God in the face of an evil dictator and in the face of a man that was going to even take his life according to history. The same one to where it is believed Paul was beheaded. How can one Christian, one person, how can the body of Christ stand in the midst of opposition and in in the face of trials and persecution? It is only because of the power of the almighty God and the working of the Holy Spirit in the lives of his people that can call them to stand. Why? Because we don't stand on our own. We stand because of what Christ has done. So it is even in the face of death that Paul 
and Peter, from the very beginning of the ministry to the very end, they remained faithful. And as I wrap this part of the message up for today, I need you to note and understand that our prayer is not always that God removes us from the difficulties that come, but that in and through the difficulties, he will get the glory and give us the boldness to stand for truth, his word. It is not for political gain. It is for the word of God that we stand and that we hold up the banner of the almighty Savior and proclaim his mighty word. And it was the disciples when they were persecuted who asked God for boldness. It was Paul in a cold dungeon in a prison that proclaimed and the word of God to the imperial guards that the whole Roman guard had heard about this Paul. And even in the face of losing his life, Paul could stand firm and hope in Christ. Why? Because he knew that the Savior that he trusted, loved and honored, would welcome him into glory. Today, as we face so many different things in our society and in our world, many times many complaints, but does the church turn to God? Does the church get on its knees? Does the church say, God, unless you do something, we won't make it. But God, if you empower us, we can stand firm for the king of glory. Why doesn't the world change? Because the world doesn't know Christ. The world has to know God. They have to know the Savior in order to be, for there to be changed. Yes, it's fine to demonstrate. It's fine to protest. But it is in the name of the Lord that true change comes. And today I want to encourage you that it is in the midst of persecution that the church grows and moves on. So, as the title says, we stand until the very end. Whenever the Lord decides to call us home, that's what we do. We stand. May God bless you.